uh, as we go to prayer. Uh, I recognize, you know, here in, in, uh, in Canada, we, we are often isolated from uh, the pain of, of many of the people around the world. As I was uh, preparing the message, I, I felt it uh, necessary to perhaps pay a little bit more uh, attention to the news and, and to wade uh, a little deeper into the, to the pain of the world, uh, in the, to the pain of uh, brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, and, and so uh, you're probably aware of some of the, the circumstances, situations of great pain. Uh, in recent uh, weeks and months, our, our eyes have been focused on, on Egypt uh, and, and uh, violence in that country. Uh, that's uh, particularly relevant to us as we've, we've noted uh, Christians being targeted and, and uh, the church being uh, persecuted. I saw uh, one story or picture, actually. It was just a picture this week of uh, a group of Christians gathered in a, a burnt-out sanctuary for worship, uh, just completely destroyed, but uh, still had the shell of, of a building and gathered to prayer, pray. Uh, Syria as well, and, and reports of, of chemical warfare. Uh, I'm going to share a little story about Syria later. Uh, in, in our church, we were, we were made aware uh, this week of flooding in Philippines, and, and uh, it hardly made a blip on the news, but uh, if you compare uh, our flood in Calgary, which of course was devastating, and don't want to make light of that, but, but you look at the floods in the Philippines and, and the, the destruction caused there, it's, it's uh, much magnified as, as far as uh, loss of life and suffering. Uh, and, and so we think of, of situations like that. Uh, in our own community, uh, you have hurts and pains, uh, situations that are on your mind. Uh, in, in our prayer time this morning, we prayed for a family whose uh, little young girl was taken to emergency uh, for emergency surgery. Uh, there are many other things that uh, are on your hearts and minds. We have an opportunity to cry out to the Lord to bring those uh, to God this morning, uh, as we just sang, Lord, we're desperate for your touch. Uh, we live in a, a broken world. Uh, I was also thinking this week, of course, in the news, there's, there's uh, stories of violence uh, from our neighbors to the south. You hear about the, you know, a, a young man killed because teenagers were bored and decided to take a life. And we think about our own children and youth and, and uh, our future. Where, where is our society going? What, what is happening to us? And, and our prayer is, come, Lord Jesus, come and heal us. We need your touch. Uh, you're welcome to remain seated for prayer. Uh, if you prefer, uh, you can kneel where you are, kneel at the altar. Uh, you're welcome to stand. If, if that whatever's uh, more uh, uh, prayerful for you, worshipful for you, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as uh, Steve already uh, reminded us this morning, uh, as, as you refer to the Exodus story, we are mindful that you are a God who is in tune to the cries of the suffering and the broken, that you heard the cries of, of your people in slavery. And we think about our situation and our needs today. And, and God, we, are, uh, we realize how desperate we are, and we are thankful that there is a God on the throne who hears there is a lamb that was slain who understands our pain, our need, our desperation. And so we cry out to you this morning for those who are suffering. Uh, we mentioned a number of situations to you. Uh, we remember those in Egypt this morning who gather to worship in, in uh, or perhaps have no place to worship, but either uh, burnt out sanctuaries or uh, not just Christians we pray for in that nation, but, but uh, 
those uh, who live in fear, uh, those who live uh, with grief this, this day. Uh, we pray for the, for the nation of Syria just, just uh, next door. And, and uh, we pray, Lord, for your kingdom to come, your peace to come. Uh, we think of those uh, in the Philippines, uh, in Manila, whose uh, lives have been uh, devastated by this flood. We pray for your grace in that area. And Lord, we also lift up uh, brothers and sisters uh, that we know, uh, even, even uh, people here in our midst who are just hanging on, who are desperate for your touch. Uh, we pray for your healing. We pray for your grace. We pray for your provision. We pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Uh, we pray for ears, Lord, to hear. We thank you that you're a God uh, who doesn't just hear our cries, but that you have acted to bring healing, that, that you're working all things out towards a good purpose, uh, that we have hope in you. And, and we pray, Lord, that we would be part of uh, your redemptive plan in this world, that we have ears to hear, uh, that we would have repentive heart, hearts, not be hard-hearted, but that we'd hear your word. Uh, we pray that you'd speak to us now through your word and give us courage and grace to respond, to turn to you, uh, to turn away from our wicked ways, to find your grace and healing. We pray for our church and our ministries. We think of the fall. We pray that you'd help us to be a light uh, to the lost and the broken in our, in our neighborhood, that we would hear their cries and respond in, in, in kind as, as you responded to us. Uh, we pray that through our ministries, uh, through our, our members, through our, our, uh, our work, through our play, uh, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, that uh, your light would shine uh, through us. We are so desperate. Even here in Calgary, in a place of affluence, Lord, we are desperate for your touch. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we have been, uh, for those who are visiting today, we have been uh, going through a, a series this summer, uh, looking through the book of Revelation. It's, it's uh, just a, a short overview, an uh, eight-week series on the book of Revelation. And uh, we've come to that point in the, in the series and in the book where uh, we're probably tempted to stop reading, uh, where it becomes quite difficult. And, uh, and today, I'll be dealing, we'll be dealing with that central section of the book of Revelation. In fact, I, I'm trying to accomplish too much today, uh, but we're picking up, uh, we left, uh, Pastor Stu preached on Revelation 4 and 5 last week. I'm picking up uh, in that central section. So all the way from chapter 6, really through to chapter 20, I picked a, a short uh, uh, section to focus on for the sermon. Um, but it's a difficult topic. This section's full of graphic violence. Uh, it's full of grotesque images. The, the text that we focus today focuses on the wrath of God, God's judgment. And, and I think Pastor Stu was quite intentional when he decided his vacation would fall on this Sunday uh, when we, when we uh, planned the series, because and, and, uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one. It's a challenging one for us today. Uh, these days, both inside the church and outside the church, uh, we struggle with the, the concept of a God of wrath. We find that concept, many find that concept offensive. I, I found an appropriate quote uh, that describes this. It, it, it's talking about preachers, but I think it applies to uh, many Christians. It says this. It says, many preachers today deal with God's wrath the same way they dealt with sex in the Victorian age. Uh, they treat it as something a bit shameful, embarrassing, and best left in the closet. 
Uh, actually, as I, I was uh, researching, uh, the last hymn that we're singing today is quite appropriate. It's, uh, oh, what is the title again? Kelly, can you help me there? The last hymn is, uh, oh, it doesn't matter. But, but there's a lot. No, no, no. The, the one we're going to sing for communion. How great, how deep the Father's love for us. You know the hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us? You know the line that says, I wrote it down, I better, I better read. <laughs> there on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Uh, I, I was reading about one particular denomination that were, they were deciding what songs to include in their hymnal. And they were considering that song and they actually made a request to the songwriter that they take out that section uh, where it says the wrath of God was satisfied. And, and they asked, can we make a change? Could we change that to there on the cross where Jesus died, the love of God was magnified? Because, you know, we don't like the wrath of God. And they made that request, and the songwriter, uh, or whoever holds the rights to the song, said, no, you cannot make that change. And and so the denomination decided to uh, not include that song in their hymnal uh, because they were uncomfortable with that line. Well, the, the author of that quote, he goes on to continue, and, and he says that when we uh, shy away from this concept, when we shy away from the wrath of God, the result is a less than fully biblical construal of who God is and what he has done, especially in the redemptive mission of Jesus Christ. Uh, when you go through Revelation, it would be dishonest for us just to skip over God's judgment and God's wrath. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big part of the story. Sometimes we think, well, God's wrath, the wrathful God, that's the Old Testament. The New Testament's the God of love. Well, uh, if you read the New Testament, if you read the words of Jesus, there, there are many warnings. Uh, Jesus himself talked about uh, warnings and plagues and last, last days and uh, about disaster and judgment. And, and so it, it's something that we uh, are uh, ill-advised to ignore. So I'm going to wade us right into this challenging subject, uh, guided by Revelation 15 and 16. I, I realize that I bit off more than I ch- could chew or, or should chew, and, and so I invite you to maybe uh, give me some grace, and, and this is a, a topic that probably should be discussed in, in further. Uh, it's like discussing politics or religion, uh, or perhaps in, in the church, you know, you have those hot-button topics uh, that are, are difficult to discuss. I mean, the big one today is... is uh, gay marriage or homosexuality. Uh, when we discuss these topics, when we discuss the wrath of God, it's easy to read into things. It's easy to, it's such a charged issue that uh, uh, it's a challenge. And so, uh, and I bit off more than I can chew. So uh, we'll do the best we can here. Uh, but the question is, how do we reconcile God's wrath with God's nature, which is love? What do we make of, of these texts? Uh, I'm going to read the text. I I better start with that. So uh, we're in Revelation chapter 15 and 16. Uh, We're skipping ahead. I'm going to give a review a little little, uh, further. Um, Revelation chapter 15. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them... God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. 
Just and true are your ways, King of all the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of testimony, was open. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chest. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls, golden bowls, filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel pulled out his bowl on the sea and turned into blood, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged, for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel pulled the, poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues. But they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. They go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him, so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne, saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away 
and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. Somber. Well, first, uh, let's back up and, and review where we are. Uh, as Stu mentioned in, in the first sermon of the series, uh, Revelation is an apocalypse. And, and the goal of apocalyptic literature is to reveal, it's to unveil, it's, it's to pull back the curtain. And, and it does so through the use of, of powerful images, powerful pictures. Uh, it reveals the unseen. It shows us how things really are. Uh, Daryl Johnson puts it this way. He says, Revelation reveals us to us. Revelation reveals to us that things are not as they appear to be, as they seem on face value. Uh, The powerful image central to the story is that of Jesus Christ on the throne. Uh, As students covered that topic last week, the vision of of the throne in heaven, uh, Revelation 4 and 5, where uh, John sees on the throne of heaven Jesus, and, and Jesus is depicted as a lamb, and not just any lamb, but a little lamb, a, a little lamb that has been slain, a, a lamb that has been beaten, broken, sacrificed, uh, but is yet alive, uh, is not dead. And, and what does this image tell us? Uh, well, Jesus is not literally a lamb. Uh, if Jesus was here among us, he wouldn't be a, a little sheep. Um, a baby sheep. But the image reveals to us the nature of Christ's character and God's actions in the world. Jesus, when, when he came to earth, he came to heal the sick and the broken. Uh, he welcomed sinners and ate with them. Uh, he didn't come leading a, a conquering army. He could have. Jesus says, you know, when I'm on the cross, he said, I, I could call legions of angels to rescue me. Uh, and, and Christ could have come that way. God could have come that way. But instead, he chose to give his life up to death. And thus, as Stu reminded us last week, the, the central image of our faith is a cross. Uh, it's not a sword. Uh, it's, not, it's not a weapon, but it's a cross uh, where Christ was, was executed. Uh, moving on in the book of Revelation, we find other images, uh, pictures that represent powers and forces that are opposed to God and opposed to the lamb. And these are, are graphic uh, pictures. They're horrible pictures. They're, there's a, the picture of a dragon. A uh, dragon's a, the central picture, uh, the central force that is opposing Christ. And, and there's the image of, of the dragon sn- trying to snatch away the baby. Uh, there's, there's the image of horrible and powerful beasts. Uh, the beast from the land, the beast from the sea. Uh, there, there's the image of the false prophet and, and, and the great... Uh, powerful, rich city, and, and that the, the, the image for the city is a, it's a seductive uh, prostitute. Uh, there are many theories as to the identity of these images, uh, who they might represent in history, and, and some of the speculation is credible, some of it is laughable. Uh, my first time I, I led a Bible study through the book of Revelation, I actually went through a, a, an old church library, and, and I found all the old prophecy books, and we had a number of old prophecy books and, and videos, and, and, and I used it, we watched a few of these, we read a few of these, to, to realize uh, all, all the silly guesses that people made 
And, and so, you know, we watched the video that, that mentioned the, the world was going to end in, I don't know, 1970. Uh, we watched another one that was uh, where they, they were sure that the, the Antichrist uh, was, was Pope John Paul II. And, and uh, all these uh, videos that, you know, it's kind of like uh, if we look back now at, at Y2K, the year 2000, and, and we, we think about all the paranoia around Y2K and, and everyone thought the world was going to end and we look back at that and we laugh. Um, and, and a lot of a lot of the old speculative prophecy, uh, we, we should probably, and actually the, the new, a lot of the stuff you see on TV, uh, a lot of the prophecy today is, is laughable. Uh, these, these images, the dragon, the beast, they are appropriate descriptions to describe powers on earth opposed to Christ. Uh, you know, if we think about the powers that, that are present on earth, uh, whether it's, it's certain people, whether it's governments, uh, whether it's corporations, whether it's the economy, uh, sometimes we feel helpless in light of the, these powerful entities. Uh, we, we see the way that the economy or governments or corporations just chew up people and spit them out. And, and we say, uh, you know, what can we do in light of these great and terrible things? That These are, are, the, are the, the powers on this world. And uh, some of those images, I think, just describe in general the, the powers uh, that are present on earth. And, and in this series, uh, in, in this church, we have no interest in getting into speculation with this sermon series. Uh, the underlying point that Revelation portrays is, is that there is a great cosmic battle taking place between God and the forces of evil. On, on one side, you got the slaughtered lamb, the little lamb. And the other side, you have the dragon, the beast, and the prostitute, the false prophet. Uh, kind of a, a counter-trinity, some scholars talk about a counter-trinity of the dragon, the beast, the false prophet. Uh, others choose to align themselves with the lamb. Oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I missed my spot here. Uh, it is enough to say, sorry, I get back. It's enough to say that the beast, the dragon, and the prostitute represent evil systems, people, forces who have aligned themselves in opposition to God and his ways. Uh, and people, human beings, they join both sides of this fight. Uh, many are drawn to the power, the riches, the seduction of the dragon, the beast, and the prostitute. And others choose to align themselves with the lamb. And of course, if you think about it, it's kind of a silly fight. You know, uh, when you watch a, uh, a boxing match or whatever, WWE, uh, they bring in the contestants. Uh, this is, this is a, a pretty ridiculous fight. When you have on one side a lamb, and on the other side you have a dragon and a beast. And, and uh, sometimes that's, that's how it's, it feels. Uh, it's hardly a fair fight, a lamb against a dragon. And we know the story, the lamb was slain. And many of those who follow Jesus, who align themselves with the Lamb, they suffer the same fate. Uh, in Revelation chapter 6, uh, verses 9 to 11, we find uh, the cry of the martyrs, the cry, out, the, the cry of those who have uh, suffered the same fate as, of Jesus Christ. And, and we're told that they're below the altar and they're crying out. Uh, they've been put to death for their faith and now they're crying out. Um, I'm going to read that, those, those verses. It says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal... I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out in a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told they should rest 
for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Uh, We can resonate with that cry, how long, O Lord? Uh, Signs are all around us that God's good creation has has been broken, has fallen. Uh, Yesterday, I alluded to it earlier, yesterday I read the story on CNN about a 12-year-old boy from Syria, who is now living in a refugee camp in Lebanon. And, and uh, a reporter was there in the refugee camp and was trying to find out about the situation in Syria. And they came across this 12-year-old boy, and, and they could tell this boy was severely traumatized. Uh, the boy wasn't saying anything, but they even noticed this 12-year-old boy had, had patches of gray hair uh, in his head. You can imagine the trauma that that boy had had uh, been through. And at first, the, the reporter tried to ask the boy some questions. You know, what happened in Syria? And, and the boy pretended to ignore the questions. And, and the, the reporter probed a little further. Tell me about your family. And the boy answered, did share a little bit about how uh, they were forced to flee when, when uh, bombs had fallen in their neighborhood. They just had to leave. That boy, his job was actually to take care of the lambs. And, and his family, or he shared the story, his sister shared the story about how they just had to run, just had to leave. And, and he wanted to go back and take the sheep. He, his job was to care for the sheep. He wanted to take the sheep, but his, his sister literally had to pick him up and carry him and drag him out and say, no, you can't go for the sheep and drag him out. And, and they fled to this refugee camp. And, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that child cries out, why? When will this end? God, do something. Why are you letting this happen? Uh, How about the slaves around the world? We know slavery isn't something that ended, whatever, 100 years ago in the States. Slavery uh, continues today. What about the children in slavery? What about the child uh, in in starving nations, those who are starving, who have have no food to eat? Uh, Those in our own neighborhood who are abused in abusive relationships, who have nowhere to go. How about those of us who have seen a loved one's body ravaged and destroyed by cancer? We cry out, how long, O Lord? Why do you allow this to continue? Don't you hear my cry? Do something. Bring it to an end. Revelation reminds us that God hears the cry of his people. Uh, our, our, our passage, as Steve mentioned, it, it directly uh, alludes uh, back to the, the, the Exodus narrative. And you remember God's, God's words to Moses. Uh, God says to Moses at the burning bush, he says, I've heard the cries of my people. Uh, I've seen their oppression. And, and earlier in the book of Revelation, you, you have a similar thing where, where Christ, uh, in, in the letters to the churches, he says, I, I know your afflictions. I know your pain. I know your persecution. I'm aware of it. I feel it. And, and like uh, in Revelation, God promises, not, uh, like in Exodus, God brings deliverance to his people. Uh, in Revelation, the, the martyrs who suffer and die while faithfully following Christ are encouraged to patiently endure, for God has heard their cries, for God will bring about their redemption. I think as we, we approach this passage uh, and we deal with the wrath of God, which I'm getting to, uh, it, it's when we truly know the brokenness, when we reflect on the brokenness, the suffering of a broken world, when we hear the cries, 
when, we, when they become our cries, that we truly long for God to bring redemption, for God to put an end to suffering and evil and pain. Uh, it's easy for us when we're affluent, when we're protected, to be offended at the wrath of God. Uh, but when we uh, become part of the suffering, when we, when we uh, share the, the cries of, of the broken, when we hear the cries, uh, then we too long for God to bring about redemption. A revelation helps us to see that judgment and wrath are, are part of God, the outworking of God's plan of redemption. Uh, biblical scholar Leon Morris, uh, he defines God's wrath this way. He says that God's wrath, the wrath of God, is God's strong and settled opposition to all that is evil. A burning zeal for the right, coupled with a perfect hatred of all that is evil. I'll repeat that. The wrath of God is God's strong and settled opposition to all that is evil, a burning zeal for the right, coupled with a perfect hatred of all that is evil. Uh, think about it this way. Uh, think about a surgeon or, or someone who has a cancerous tumor, and a surgeon is performing uh, a surgery to remove the, t- the tumor. Uh, would you expect the, the surgeon to have mercy on that tumor and, and say, well... Uh, of course not. The, the surgeon would act upon that, that, that tumor. We act upon cancer with, with, with uh, I mean, no, no relent. Uh, because we know that, that cancer is, is wholly destructive. It must be eradicated. Well, now let's turn our, our attention to our text, uh, chapter 15 and 16. Uh, just a number of comments and observations. Uh, first of all, I think one of the reasons we have, we have problems with God's wrath, the concept of God's wrath, is, is uh, we approach it uh, in the same way we, we think about probably the worst examples of, of human wrath, of human anger. And we've all seen, uh, we, we even have uh, phrases for what, what, what do we, do? we describe someone who's anger or someone who's wrathful. We talk about them losing it. Uh, emotional, uh, an emotional response, an irrational wrath, uh, a wrath that is bestial, that is uh, just uh, uncontrollable and, and wild. Uh, God's wrath, look at, look at how it's described in this passage. Uh, the angels that come out, they're wearing priestly robes. Uh, it, it, it emanates from God's holiness. Uh, it talks about the temple being filled with God's presence. There's no bestial rage. There's no vindictive pleasure. Uh, I, I think there's something grossly wrong with, and, and you hear this sometime with Christians who, uh, you know, take, they, they, they talked about God's judgment in kind of like a, almost a gleeful way, looking forward to God's judgment and, and, and taking some, some pleasure in, in God, you know, uh, taking care of those bad people out there. And, and I can't wait till God comes and deals with those bad people over there. Uh, there's something wrong when, when we have that view of, of God's wrath. Uh, that's not how it's described in this chapter or in Scripture. Uh, let's also remember that, that Revelation is a book of uh, images. And, and it has to be interpreted as such. Jesus is not literally a lamb. Uh, there's no literal uh, dragon or beast or great prostitute. Now, these represent real things, very real things. So don't, let, don't say that I'm not saying that. I mean, there really is a, a Jesus Christ. There really is uh, a Satan and, and forces of evil. Uh, these are poetic pictures and illustrations. Are there actual angels that pour seven bowls of yucky stuff on the earth? I don't know. I, I would argue, though, that, well, there certainly is real judgment. Uh, but we've got to be careful about saying this is, uh, 
I'm taking this very literally. These are, these are images and pictures. And I would argue that God's judgment is often the outworking of our own disobedience. Uh, consider our world and the mess that we have made of it. Uh, I even, you know, you think about this. This passage talks about God's uh, turning the, the waters of the world uh, to blood. And that certainly uh, reflects back to Exodus and the plagues in Exodus. And, and these plagues are mirrors of those plagues in Exodus. And, and the, the, the living things in the, in the rivers and the oceans dying. Well, if you look at our world today, uh, I mean, it, it, uh, few would disagree that we are poisoning our oceans and our waters, that we have killed vast quantities uh, of the, the living things uh, in the ocean. And, and if we continue on our path, polluting the oceans, polluting the world, I mean, God's not even going to have to uh, turn the river to, bl- the, to blood to kill the things in the ocean because we'll have done it already. Uh, and, and so uh, part of, of God's judgment, part of God's wrath is just leaving us to our own devices. Uh, parents know that. Parents know that. Uh, when your kids grow up, there's a time where you say, you know, you can't rescue your children all the time. Where you say they're going to have to live with the consequences of their actions. Uh, they're going to have to deal with the consequences of their actions. I can't save them. I can't uh, take that or else they'll never learn. Uh, another example of this is, is that humanity, uh, we all know this, that we have the power. And, and I would argue we probably have the stupidity uh, to destroy our world many times over. Uh, we have the capability. We have nuclear weapons. And uh, certainly it, it's a, a real possibility that some person, uh, some nation, uh, will use one of these weapons someday. Uh, we have that ability to destroy the world. So, I mean, we can fear, fear God destroying the world, but, but chances are, I mean, uh, God just needs to leave us in, to our own devices and we'll do it for him. Uh, there... God built a good creation. We read in Genesis. He revealed to us, human beings, how things were intended to work. And when we rebel against God's created order, we suffer the consequences of our choices. And, and that brings me to, the, to my next point, and that is, uh, if we look at this passage, if we look at, at God's judgment and wrath, uh, the intended consequence, the intended uh, purpose, is to bring about restoration, repentance, redemption. Time and time again, we read in Scripture, and we find it a couple times here in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 9. Again, in verse 11, it says this. You know, these, this plague happens, and it says this. It says, still they refused to repent and glorify him. They still refused to repent for what they had done. Uh, so these, these uh, plagues, this, this uh, judgment is meant to bring about repentance. Those falling under the wrath of God are those who have chosen to persist in their wickedness. They are like the criminal uh, who, despite being caught and sentenced time and time again, you know, you have these criminals with a long rap sheet. They've been in and out of juvie, in and out of prison, career criminals. They, they finally are set free. They can leave the horror of prison and, and they go back and, and commit another crime. They don't learn uh, and they're caught again. Uh, the, 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 one of the reasons that the passage says that God's judgments are just is because God has given time to repent. God has given opportunity to repent. Uh, it, it, you can almost say that the, the wrath, the, the, the punishment has been chosen. You know, people chose to reject God. They chose 
uh, to, they chose uh, th- this way that leads to wrath. Uh, a good verse is, is, a powerful verse is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, many of you would be familiar with that verse. But when we ask the question, how long, O Lord, why are you allowing these terrible things to continue? Uh, 2 Peter 3, 9 is a good verse to look at. It says this, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some of you understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's God's heart. Uh, that's uh, part of the reason why God lets, uh, why God doesn't put an end to things right now and say, you know, I'm sick of all the war, I'm sick of all the violence, I'm sick of all the oppression, uh, I'm done, let's end this. Uh, God allows it to continue because he's giving us time to repent because he's merciful. His desire is that we would come to repentance, that none of us would perish. I do want to just take a side note here. Uh, And I think we do have to be very careful. I certainly don't want to suggest that everything that goes wrong is a sign that we are under God's judgment. And you know, that's how I think many people live. Uh, it's the other side of the prosperity gospel. You know, when, when things are going well, God is blessing us. If, if I'm, if I'm doing what I should do, then God will bless me. Uh, If things are going bad, then obviously uh, I need to pray more. I need to do more. Um, it's, it's the same side as, you know, a disaster happens and you have the televangelists that say, well, that's a sign of God's judgment. So you have a hurricane in New Orleans and someone like Pat Robertson, not naming names, uh, gets on the news and says, well, that's God's judgment on New Orleans because of the voodoo, because of, uh, I don't know, whatever it might be, the sin of, of America. Um, we got to be careful against that. We've already discussed that suffering can actually be the result of faithfully, faithfully following Christ. Uh, the martyrs lose their life. Christ lost his life. What sin did Christ commit to suffer like that? There are many examples in scripture of suffering simply being uh, almost random. You think of Job. There's no reason for Job's suffering. It wasn't the result of Job's sin, but simply because it was a test. Uh, And the truth is many of us carry false guilt. You know, we, we think, what did I do so wrong that God is punishing me, that God would punish me? God must hate me so. And these are lies from the pit of hell. That's not how God operates. God's heart towards us is good. It is always good towards us. And so we got to be very careful to avoid that lie, to avoid listening to the lie from the evil one that bad things are happening. Now, certainly, if, I mean, certainly, there's always, we always got to be, and I'll get to this, I'm getting ahead of myself, but certainly we always have to be asking, am I being faithful to Christ or am I going the wrong way? And there's always opportunities for us, to wake up calls for us to say, no, I've gotten off track. I need to get back on the right track. And I'm going to get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. Last observation. Judgment is terrifying. Judgment is terrifying. This is a terrifying passage. There's no getting around that. Uh, it, it is total and absolute. 
in its annihilation of evil. Uh, if you look at Revelation, there's actually a cycle of, of almost plagues or warnings. Earlier, there was the, the seven trumpets and the seven seals. And, and earlier, uh, in, in I think in the first cycle, one-third of the, of the world, or one-third of the, or a quarter, I can't remember the numbers, of, of the creatures in the sea were killed. And here we have total annihilation. Everything in, in the waters uh, is killed. It's, it's absolute. It's terrifying. Uh, I don't believe in scaring people into the kingdom. It's not our practice. Uh, as you know, those who attend this church, uh, Stu and I could hardly be called hellfire and brimstone preachers, uh, especially for those who grew up under that kind of preaching. Uh, you probably wouldn't confuse us uh, with that style. But there's no getting around it. In Scripture, there are serious warnings against persisting in rebellion. And we would be dishonest uh, if we were just to skip over these passages, if we were just to ignore them and say, you know, it doesn't matter what we do. God's loving, God's going to forgive us, God's going to save everyone. Uh, we would be dishonest if, if, if we said that was true. Revelation challenges us deeply to answer this question. We almost answer this question, to whom will I give my allegiance? To whom will I worship? Where have I placed my hope? Where have we placed our hope? Uh, the next couple of chapters, 17 and 18, they remind us that as powerful and alluring as the kingdoms of this earth are with their riches and their pleasures, that they will last for but an hour, for a short time, and then they will be destroyed. Uh, there's, there's a serious warning that we find in, in, in chapter 18, verse 4, uh, where, where the, this great city, Babylon, um, biblical scholars... Uh, think maybe the Roman Empire, maybe Rome is, is Babylon, and I wasn't going to be get into the, some of that speculation, but uh, uh, the great city is destroyed, and, and there's a voice from heaven, uh, a, a warning to, to the saints, to the church, and it says this, it says, come out of her, come out of, of this corruption, come out of the city, my people, so you will not share in her sins, so you will not receive any of her plagues. I think in light of this passage, in light of, of the wrath of God, in, in light of these difficult texts, in, in, in light of these serious warnings, you know, all we can do is, is join uh, the prophet Isaiah. You remember Isaiah chapter 6, and, and Isaiah is taken up into the throne room of heaven and stands in the presence of the holy God, and he says, Woe is me, for I have sinful lips. I'm part of a sinful people. Woe is me. I am desperate for your touch. Uh, I am done. In light of God's wrath, all we can say is, woe is me with the prophet Isaiah. We need a savior. Uh, Paul Spilsbury, he talks about God's wrath this way. He says, imagine you're, you're, you're on a cliff and, and you're falling. And uh, the Bible talks about how we're a fallen people. Well, you can take that image and talk, think about falling off a cliff or a large building. Uh, in college, I had the opportunity to uh, go on the top of one of the buildings downtown Calgary. I was working as a security guard, and, and uh, the maintenance guy one night uh, took me up on, on the top of a 44-story building, and, and we stood on the roof of that building, and I, I slowly walked to the edge. I didn't even dare to go to the edge because there was no railing or anything. I, I stood about five feet away, and I kind of peered over that bridge, or not the bridge, peered over the edge of that building. What would happen if you're falling off 
of that building or that cliff, well, certainly you would be mangled. Uh, certainly there's no hope for you. Your only hope would be that something or someone would absorb the impact of your fall. We have fallen. All of us have sinned. We desperately need something to catch us. And that is what Christ's death does. It absorbs the impact of our sinfulness. I, I wanted to close by, by reading this section from Daryl Johnson, Discipleship on the Edge, which has been our, our guide through the book of Revelation. And he talks about this passage in, in uh, Revelation 15 and 16. And he says this, he says, where, where, okay. He says, uh, he says, what do I see in this text? He says, I, I believe that the John who penned Revelation is the John who penned the fourth gospel. I know there are a number of godly scholars that think otherwise and make the case for two different Johns. I think I can make the case for one John, John the son of Zebedee. If that is true, the same John who penned Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is the John who penned the fourth gospel. Now it seems to me that John could not have written the word finished in Revelation without thinking about the word finished in the fourth gospel. Consider the following two verses. Chapter 15, verse 1. Because in them the wrath of God is finished. And and then uh, Revelation 16, verse 17. A loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. It is finished. Surely these are echoes of John 19, verse 30, where from the cross we hear the words from Jesus' mouth, it is finished. It seems to me John would have somehow connected the two and intends for his readers to connect the two. What is finished? Everything that needs to be done in order for unholy sinners to enter relationship with the holy God. What is finished? Everything that needs to be done about sin. Everything that needs to be done about the sin of those who respond to Jesus' call to follow. What is finished in the cross is the judgment of the sin of those who come to Jesus. At the cross, God's burning zeal for the right, coupled with God's perfect hatred of evil, came together to save sinners. There is a way out of the wrath to come. It is to throw ourselves on the cross where wrath was mercifully expended by God on himself in the person of Jesus. The voice from the throne in the seventh bowl that cries out, it is done, is the same voice that cries from the cross, it is finished. The one who sends forth the seven angels is the one who so loves the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish should not come under judgment, but have eternal life. So what is our response to what has been revealed in this section of Revelation? Repent of anything that does not square with Jesus Christ and throw ourselves on him who by his blood saved us from his just wrath. The old hymn, Rock of Ages, says it so well. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed, be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. There's no refuge from the judging God, but there is refuge in the judging God. Mercy.
It's appropriate today that, that we come to the table uh, as we reflect upon a God who uh, was willing to take upon the brokenness of this world, to bear it in his body, uh, who, who dealt with our sin, our shame, uh, so that this world can be made new. Please don't, don't miss next week's message too as, as we, we look forward to a God that is making all things new. As we anticipate the wedding supper of the Lamb, uh, but first we come to the table. Uh, we f- reflect on a God who, who shared our sorrow, who shared our suffering, who was unwilling to walk away from this broken world, who was unwilling to leave us in, in the mess that we have made, uh, in hopelessness and despair, but came to bring us hope, to rescue us, to redeem us, to make us new. That is what Christ's death does. It takes care of our sin, As we come to the table, let's do so in prayer. Let's, let's, uh, I, I do want to give an opportunity this morning, and, and I think it, in response to this, this message, uh, this warning, uh, there, there must be an opportunity for us to, again, to turn, to seek God, to seek his grace and mercy, to repent from our sinfulness, our wickedness. But let's also come with thanksgiving, thankful for what Christ has done, receiving his gift for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on your word, we realize that there's, there is uh, no one we can blame but ourselves. We know that you created a good world. You have given everything to us and for us. You've shown us the path to life. And, and yet we know that each of us, all of us, have, turned, have chosen. We, we've chosen to... Uh, reject you, reject your, your gifts, to go our own way. We know how easy it is for us to uh, be rebellious, for us to persist in, in our rebellion. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided a way out, that you have taken our punishment, you've taken our condition, and you've made it your own. Uh, that we might be rescued, so that we might be made new. Uh, We pray today for your grace. We pray for your forgiveness. We thank you for these gifts represented in in, uh, the bread and and the juice. We thank you that you gave your body and your blood to forgive us, to make us new, to rescue us from the consequences of our sin. We pray, Lord, as we partake, as, as we throw ourselves on your table, that not only would you forgive us, but that you would make us new, that you change our hearts and give us strength to walk as you walk, that you change our hearts, that we would no longer crave and pursue the, uh, the false powers, the false... Uh, forces uh, of this world that are, are so seductive to us that's that we would run from those things and run to you. We know that in you is found life. In you is found hope. Uh, we thank you that we've come to know your grace. We thank you for the healing you've done in our life, and we pray that you would carry it on to completeness. 
Uh, we pray that you strengthen us in, in the commitment that we have made to walk as your children, that you strengthen us in the vows we have made to live a faithful life, that we would be people who reflect your character uh, in, our, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our church. Change us, O oh Lord. We are desperate for your touch. Uh, we pray for your healing in our hearts. We thank you that you've given us everything possible, everything, so that we need not fear your wrath, but that we can live with confidence and courage, that we can boldly enter into your presence, confidence of your welcome. We thank you that you welcome us to your table this morning. Help us to live with that confidence, no longer in fear, no longer listening to the lies of the evil one that tells us we're no good because you have given your life for us. We are your children. How thankful we are that we are sons and daughters of the king. Uh, We do pray for those uh, who need a message of hope, for those living in cycles of, of hopelessness and despair, for those who have aligned, aligned themselves uh, with, with evil, uh, those who know no better, uh, we pray that your light would shine in us. We think of, of our children. We think of uh, our neighbors who need your hope. Uh, we don't know all their stories, but we, we know of of uh, of many that uh, are, are living lives of desperation. We thank you that we found your hope. May your light shine through us. Uh, we mentioned many situations earlier, Lord, and we pray now specifically for those in our circle of influence, Lord, that we would take this message of hope. We thank you that it's your desire that none would perish, but all that would uh, come to eternal life. And we pray that we would use the opportunity we have not to condemn, but to, but to share a message of hope. Uh, certainly a, a message of warning, but, but a message of, of, uh, of grace, of invitation, of welcome for those who would turn to you. And we pray that through our ministry, through our witness, that uh, we would overcome, that others would overcome, that others would find your hope and grace. Now come to us, Lord, as we receive these gifts. May we find grace and strength to face the challenges we face, to be the people you've called us to be. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.